Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, all of you beautiful, wonderful people. Welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa. Today, it is Wednesday, September the 14th. We have a brilliant show, super deep conversation with Dr. Sarah Vadbankar, who teaches women to listen to their inner voice and unlock the key to more energy, joy, confidence, and trust in their body. You can probably tell right away why I love her so much. Oh, and did I mention she's a naturopathic doctor and she's the creator of effortless energy. Who doesn't want effortless energy right now? Doesn't that seem like just such a dream? She makes it a reality. And for the last decade or more, Dr. Sarah has helped women who suffer from fatigue, unknown, undiagnosed fatigue, thyroid conditions, hormone imbalances, so that they can reclaim their health. She believes that health is the result of creating new habits, small steps, one small step at a time. And the first step is making change that is in tune with your inner voice and your intuition and then and then start to speak your truth and live your truth and embody that. What a fantastic foundational base to contribute to and 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 be combined with holistic medicine. Oh, our conversation, we go all over the place. Let's dive in right now. Here is Dr. Sarah Vidvankar. Here we go. Hello, Dr. Sarah. How are you today? I'm really well. I'm excited for today's conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Okay. I absolutely love your message and I've been sort of like secretly like wanting to ask you to come on the show and then I like get shy for some reason. And I think, I think it's because oftentimes I think that I'm gravitated towards natural, natural pathic medicine and yeah, yeah. (laughs) can't talk right now. Uh, And it really makes so much sense, but I, I grew up with like doctors and MDs and like, listen to your doctor and they're the authority. So when I, so alternative medicine gets me a little bit stuck in this like woo woo voodoo realm. And so I don't know, like I I just sometimes get intimidated, but like literally every single thing that you say makes so much sense to me. And I know that, that the veil is sort of coming off for a lot of people that, hey, there's, there are other ways, legitimate ways to address your health and how you feel and how to live a better life that's not go take a pill or go do this blood work that is always fricking normal. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. and for me it's for me it's do that and, and maybe do other things. So I'm very pro like I'm very grateful for our medical system. Mm-hmm. It has many flaws, 
but I'm grateful that we have it. I have a family doctor who I see regularly. So for me, this is not a like us versus them situation. Right. Yes, got it. But I think most of us in the last few months, I think the last couple of years have made this very obvious that there are severe limitations to what our healthcare system can offer. Mm-hmm. And where our healthcare system, I think really shines is in disease management and trauma management. If I break my arm, you better believe I'm driving straight to the ER. If I have a heart attack, I'm going straight to the hospital. What the healthcare system, I think, doesn't do well is help manage chronic lifestyle disease and engage in any type of preventative medicine. And I think that's where other healthcare providers like naturopathic doctors are really starting to step up to the plate and to fill in some of the gaps Mm-hmm. that people are finding that their needs are not being met. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the top things I hear in my office every day. I work predominantly with women, but men as well. And they're like, I don't feel like my doctor has the time to look into my issues. I don't feel listened to. And mm-hmm. I often feel dismissed. And that's because those patients are not necessarily acutely sick. They're not dying any day soon, which is great. Yes, But it means that they're not getting the type of proactive healthcare they're looking for because that's not what our healthcare system is set up to deliver. So I love what I get to do, which is work with people on preventative health, on looking at, okay, well, my doctor told me I have a thyroid issue and I need to take this medication for the rest of my life, but what else can I do to help support so I can have more energy and manage my weight and have a good mood? So for me, it's really, it's not about replacing what they're doing. It's about complementing and filling in the gaps that are definitely lacking. Yeah, it's the the whole idea. So I actually really like my doctor. I I like her a lot. I've me been too. with her for like, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah. And however, when it comes to some of like the fatigue issues that I've experienced and the... Um, just, I had this, like, I have depression. I have depression. And however, it's more like, um, I should probably come and see you actually. <laughs> Let's book that in later. Um, yeah. it's, it's more like a, like a, a, a physical depression than a mental in my, my mind seems clear and good. And I do a lot of stuff to really help focus on the things that matter to me. And, but I have this like weight on my shoulder all the time and it's like, Oh God, I'm like dying. I feel like I'm dying. Um, and everything always comes back as normal. And it sometimes makes me feel as though I'm being like gaslit by the medical system. Like it it makes me feel like I'm crazy and no, I don't want to take a depression medication. I have actually gone down that road before. I was taking um, a high level of Effexor for seven years, anxiety, uh, depression med. Um, So I just, I I think it's really interesting. And that's why I'm gravitated towards your work because you talk about the, the, the normal range. So so what is normal? Can I? Yeah, 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 go. Can I comment on what you just said? Please. Okay, so a couple things. Number one, what you just said I think is really important, which is when your doctor can't find anything wrong or they dismiss you, you start to question yourself. Yes. And this happens to a lot of women in particular in the medical system. And part of what I'm trying to really reteach women is to listen to their body and to 
trust their body Mm -hmm. because most of us know when something is wrong. Even if there's no obvious answer that your doctor can find, I think it's really important to to acknowledge and to listen to what's happening in your body. The second thing I want to say, and depression is a perfect example of this, is the traditional approach to depression is that it is caused by a chemical imbalance. Yes. And here is your medication to fix your chemical imbalance. That works for a small percentage of people with depression. And for a lot of people, it can help reduce it, but it doesn't take it away. And for some patients, the the medications aren't the answer. And so again, if we look at, I think what I do differently as a naturopathic doctor. So the way that I look at depression, and I think the way that luckily more practitioners are starting to look at depression is what we call the biopsychosocial model. So meaning there's three different pieces to that puzzle. The first part is the biology, and that's part that our medical system looks at. And that's really looking at, are there specific things happening in the body that could cause depression? Things like iron deficiency, things like thyroid problems, you know, things like hormone imbalance. So that part is important, but we tend to get so hyper-focused on that piece that we ignore the other two pieces. And the other two pieces are the psychological piece, which is looking at your past history, your trauma, how you think, your psychological Mm -hmm. well-being, the tools that you have. And then the third piece, which we ignore the most, is the social piece. And that's looking at your relationships, your connection to the people in your life, your connection Mm -hmm. to your work, if you feel like you have a sense of purpose in your life. We don't do a good job of addressing those pieces. And so to me, when we're treating things in a conventional medical approach, we're often just treating a small slice of what's going on and we're ignoring the other pieces, which are often just as important. That's huge. So how does one start to approach this then? Like if you sort of grew up like me where it's like, listen to your doctor and like my doctor's telling me I'm okay. I feel like I'm crazy. I'm, you know, I'm trying to listen to my body, but my doctor's telling me that my body is okay. You know, where do we go from here? Yeah, it's a great question. For me, the, the, the start is always to, to just continue to to tune into your own body. So if you have a symptom that you feel is bothersome, even just starting to track it for Mm. a month or two months and just start to notice like, when is it happening? Is there like a pattern to it? Um, And really just not letting the voices of authority, whether that's your family doctor, your spouse, your parents, like we're so good at letting other people's Mm. opinions dull and numb what we already know to be true for ourselves so I would say to be mindful of like whose voices you're letting into your your environment and to really start to like tune into your own body and see what's happening and just track and like pay attention Mm -hmm. and then once you have some of that information I would look at and there's lots of fantastic types of practitioners that can help with different things. So just seeking out maybe a practitioner, whether it's a naturopathic doctor, whether it's a dietitian or a nutritionist or a chiropractor, um, but ask your friends, like, who are you seeing? Who have you had good experiences with? And then find a practitioner who, 
you know, speaks the language. I get so many patients who probably like you, you heard about me somewhere, you follow me on Instagram for a while, Mm -hmm. you like what I have to say, and then eventually people will book an appointment. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to find a practitioner who kind of is doing the type of work that you're interested in, who speaks your language, who seems to understand what you're going through, and then who maybe has some other solutions that you aren't getting through your through your family doctor, kind of the conventional system. On that social aspect, isn't it interesting how we allow other people's opinion to control our life and how there really is only a handful of people in our life that really dictate who we are? There's like a handful of people in our life that we give authority to decide who we are and whether we're good or whether we're not good. It's so interesting. And it's very interesting. It's very, (laughs) and that's like, I think a huge piece of the puzzle that is continuously unraveling for myself. Uh, I mean, for a long time, I've really been listening to, my body through intuitive awareness and really like understanding the narrative. I just went through this crazy experience over the weekend. It was wild with plant-based medicine. Um, And for those of you that uh, don't follow me on Instagram or haven't heard, I did a healing journey with psilocybin and it was actually one of the most wild I, I, like I'm still processing. I'm honestly still processing what just happened and how I connected to the earth and connected to myself and got some messages. And like, it's amazing how something that grew on this earth naturally that literally came out of the ground can connect you to the earth, to the universe, to the things that matter. It was like, it was kind of like Avatar and... Um, um, psychology, maybe like psychiatry, psychology, avatar mixed with like tribal, ancient medicine together in this like insane experience. (laughs) I don't know. Like it's something that I've never experienced in my whole entire life and growing up in like traditional medicine and like listening to authority figures, as you said, it's just really blew the lid off. And now I feel not insane anymore. I don't, I don't feel insane anymore. I don't feel insane anymore. Yeah. I don't feel. Because, and again, I, I haven't done that yet, but I would love to one day. (laughs) Yeah. You just like, you literally, I think part of what happens when you do something like psilocybin is you get out of your head and your ego Mm -hmm. and you literally like you start to reconnect with your body. Mm -hmm. And what you said is interesting. Like how this like mushroom that grew out of the earth, like we forget we are part of nature. We're not some like separate species. We are all part of the same thing. So there are so many powerful ways that can include, you know, healing journeys or simply just like taking three minutes a day when you wake up in the morning, before you pick up your phone, before you turn on Instagram, before you jump out of bed and make your kids breakfast, Mm -hmm. literally just tune into your body. And I get people to check into three spots. Number one is your physical body. Does anything hurt? Is it stiff? Like what's happening physically? 
Number two, what's happening emotionally? What's my mood right now? How am I feeling emotionally? Mm-hmm. And then the third third piece is like your your spirit. Is there something going on that is there any message for me? What's happening in my gut? What's happening in my heart? But literally just taking like a couple minutes a day to tune in to your body and getting out of your head. We are a society that is so mind driven and brain based and we yeah. have these amazing brains which allow us to do all this great stuff. But it means that most of us are completely disconnected from our bodies, mm-hmm. which I think is part of what drives so much disease is that when we're tired, we don't slow down. We grab more coffee. Yeah. When we have a headache, we don't ask, oh, I wonder why I have a headache. We pop an Advil and move on, right? We're, we're so bothered by our bodies that we don't take the time to, number one, pay attention. And number two, try to understand, like, what is my body trying to tell me right now? Especially with survival instincts, I would imagine. Like, we want to be safe. We want to Mm -hmm. feel safe and create a safe environment. So when we have perceived... And then the whole fight or flight situation where there's threat and then perceived threat and then the idea that we are in danger, when that is just an idea, we're not... It's not a rational fear to watch TV and get scared out of your fucking mind and behave in a way that your life is in threat is like threatened right in this moment when it's not. And then all yeah. of these hormones and this, then the body is just like trying to keep you safe from something that isn't even there in that moment. You're actually in your living room and you're fine. But I find it yeah. so interesting how the brain can get so hijacked in these mm-hmm fear-based narratives that we not only see once, like let's just say we watch the news, we attach meaning to that story and then replay the story in our minds, whether we're aware of it or not. Yeah. I use that example all the time, especially with women who have trouble sleeping. And I ask them, what do you do before bed? Yeah. And most of them are either watching the news or scrolling Instagram. Mm. And what I explain to them is that in order to sleep, Your brain has to feel safe Mm -hmm. because sleep is technically a time when you're most vulnerable. When you're sleeping, you are prone to attack. Now, luckily, that is not likely to happen in our modern world, but our brain doesn't know that. So when you open Instagram and you see people arguing and fighting, when you open the news and you see war, disease, famine, economy, like your brain is terrified. Yeah. And then you turn off the TV and you think, no, I'm going to have a good sleep. No, you're not. Your brain (laughs) is scared shitless. It's not going to allow you to go into a deep sleep because you just showed it all these stressful images. And now it's going to stay partially awake in case someone literally comes to attack you. Isn't it interesting? Okay, that and then now. But however, people, their ego tries to convince them that no it's not I like to do this this is my habit this is what I like to do before bed and it's not that is not the reason I'm not sleeping and they try to like fill in the gaps so that they can maintain some sort of routine that they like or something do you know what I mean by that I do. And I, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts you talked about your aura ring and I wear one too yeah and one of the things that I'm 
fascinated about just from something that recently happened to me is this like the cost of hidden stress Mm. right Mm. if you ask the average person right now what are your stress levels they're probably like you know most people say like yeah they're maybe a little bit high but i'm fine right i'm okay i'm fine i'm fine and they're they think they're fine because their ego and their brain have convinced themselves that they are okay. And when they look around, everyone is stressed out. So we assume that this is a normal state of being. Mm -hmm. But when we think about the hidden cost of stress or hidden stressors, what I mean by that is that something that your brain thinks is fine, but that is triggering a massive stress response in your body. So even though you've convinced yourself that it's not stressful, your body you cannot outsmart your body. If your body thinks it's stress, you better believe it's pumping out a whole bunch of stress hormones. So one of the things that has been fascinating here about my own health, I've been wearing an aura ring and tracking my sleep for a, a year and a half, and I get very little deep sleep. Like how, what's your deep like, sleep at? What's your deep sleep? What oh, do you it mean? Was less than an hour. Some days it was <gasps> like, 15 minutes it was horrible it was and my heart heart rate variability like in the teens and 20s mine's in the teens and 20s too it goes up to like 40 michael my partner his is like 150 what the frick okay exactly but i do get deep sleep i'm like in the two hour i get two to two and a half hours that's amazing yeah yeah so i was like what the heck is going on i'm like i'm a very healthy person i like people think I'm insane with my sleep routine. I've tried everything you can try to like hack your sleep and get yep. deep sleep. And literally nothing was really working. Two weeks ago, exactly on this two weeks today, I shut down my physical clinic space. So I owned a clinic and I decided that I no longer wanted to run a clinic. I wanted to just practice from home. Amazing. I moved out of my office that night, deep sleep, hour and a half. Mm. HRV doubled mm. and has has stayed that way since two weeks ago. And so for me, that was such a big eye-opener that if you had asked me, <coughs> is your clinic a big source of stress in your life? I would have said no. Mm. But my body clearly was responding to something that was happening, being a clinic owner, because the second that that role was gone, my physiology responded literally that night. Interesting. So your brain was sort of hijacked in a way that was convincing you that you that this was not a stress for you. However, your body was responding. And isn't that interesting how we attach? I think that has to do with our survival again, because to survive means we need to belong. And we need Mm -hmm. to be authentic. Those are the survival skills, the safety. We will feel safe when we belong and we're able to be ourselves. And it's so interesting to think that that if I am not okay, that means I am bad or I will... Or weak, weak. yes. That's something like... In our society, because we value productivity and Mm -hmm. output and doing so much, 
that to acknowledge or admit that you are under stress, I think a lot of people see that as a sign of weakness. And I see this in my office playing out with people who are fully burnt out, Mm -hmm. who when I recommend that they take time off work, they are devastated. They do not want to take time off work. They feel like they're letting everyone down. They feel like they failed or that they're weak. When in fact, they actually have worked so hard, they are so strong that they fully overdid it. And now their body finally is like, I cannot do this anymore. Did you see a lot of that um, happen at the beginning of the pandemic, sort of when things shut down and just like, when people like didn't go into the office all the time or they lost their jobs or everyone's working from home. And so like things sort of naturally you were forced to slow down. Did you see like any patterns? Because like I, from the people that I've spoken to and the people that are in my community and that I work with, and I I saw this interesting range of people who were like denying the slowdown, trying to find other ways to busy their mind and avoid the -hmm. things in their life and the, and the, the excuses and yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people, quiet time and not being busy is incredibly uncomfortable. And I put myself in that category. Mm -hmm. I am like the classic first child, straight A student, high achiever. Like Mm -hmm. I thrived in that model my entire life until a couple years ago, I did some mindset and kind of coaching work and realized like, I am not worthy because I produce. I'm not worthy because of my job title. I am worthy of rest and relaxation. And this is like a conversation I have with myself every day now. Unbelievable. My point is for a lot of women, not having something to do and having quiet space is very uncomfortable because what happens when you are quiet is you can finally start to hear what is actually going on in your body Mm. and what is actually going on in the body of a lot of women is anger, sadness, frustration, resentment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the way that we keep ourselves from feeling those uncomfortable feelings is by keeping busy because when you're doing your email and you're working and you're doing all the things, it's much easier to ignore those things. So how do you treat people with unexpressed emotion in that sense? Like, how do you, how does that represent in someone that would come to you? Yeah. Like, how does it show up physically? Yeah. Physically. Yeah. yeah. It shows up as PMS. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to what irritates the shit out of you every month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because. What happens in your PMS window is that your hormones drop to their lowest level. And what the way that I like to think about it is that your tolerance for bullshit is the lowest in your PMS window. Okay. So if there's something that continuously keeps popping up as being something irritating or annoying, mm-hmm. it probably is annoying you all month long. You just have a higher tolerance for it when your hormones are in a different place. Now, and I was talking about this with someone on the weekend. 
don't make any major life decisions in your PMS window yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Don't file for divorce. Don't sell your house and quit your job because <laughs> you're gonna, not a good idea. But also don't ignore what's happening in that time, especially if it's the same thing over and over. That's a clue of something in your life that probably needs to be looked at. Okay, speaking of hormones, for the women who are in perimenopause and menopause, postmenopause that don't have those big spikes, like I'm in a phase right now where I'm having massive, massive spikes. And yes. I, yeah, so what if, what if we're we're a little older or we've gone through yeah. the, the magic of menopause? Of menopause. So if you're in perimenopause, you're essentially almost like in a perpetual state of PMS in a sense because your hormones are in constant flux. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women have a lot of stuff come out when they're perimenopausal. Their mood is all over the place. They're angry. They're irritable. They're, bot- they're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. And the way that I would look at that is what's happening there is probably like the accumulation of all the choices and habits that you've been practicing for the last 5, 10, 15 years. Like you can't get away with shit when you're in perimenopause. Yeah. So again, your body is trying to talk to you at all times. So if there's anger coming up, then you need to figure out how to release that anger. And one of the things that I learned about my own experience with anger is that anger is often covering up deep sadness and grief. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're feeling anger, find a way to express that, whether that's singing, screaming, kickboxing, running, whatever you need to do, journaling. Yeah. But go a layer deeper because there might be sadness and grief hanging out under there. And anger is a really pr- good protective way to get people to leave you alone when you're feeling deeply sad. And this, and then, so menopause, post-menopause. Yeah. So then your hormones are stable. They're low, but they're stable. Okay. So a lot of women and a lot of the women, I turned 40 this year. So I've been having a lot of conversations about age. And most of the women I talk to in their fifties are like fifties. Amazing. Cause you stop giving a crap about about what everybody else thinks and you start to gain the confidence to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think what menopause allows is for a better connection with yourself, more confidence around who you are and this ability to just like stand in that power and to be yourself because you're not going through these like crazy hormonal roller coaster all the time. So how does the fight or flight or the stress hormones affect the way that you think? Good question. So when you're under stress, there's a physiological reaction. You you make all of these stress hormones. And what those stress hormones are going to do is have you laser focused on what is dangerous. And I think we saw a lot of this over the last years with the pandemic is that you become hyper vigilant and hyper aware of anything that could cause danger and stress. And that's going to cause typically a lot of anxiety, could cause sleep problems. But then it also makes it really difficult to focus on other things. So there's this like explosion of women, adult women being diagnosed with ADHD, which I find fascinating. It's me too. Uh, It's fascinating. Tell me more about this. Yep. Okay. So I don't know how I feel about it. I think there, there obviously is a percentage of the population who legitimately has ADHD, who benefits from medication. I don't want to dispute that. 
Yes. However, our whole in life environment is set up for distractions. Yes. So if you do not do anything on purpose to cultivate attention and focus, it's not magically going to be there. So when your brain is mm. under stress, your concentration and your focus are not going to be good. Your memory is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. And then most of us spend our days with a device in hand, which is distracting us at every minute of the day. Most of us have our laptop open with email pings going off every 10 seconds. Like there's nothing in the environment that cultivates focus. So what I feel and again, this is my opinion based on what I've observed. Most women getting an ADHD diagnosis probably need better sleep. They need to get off their devices. They need to spend time in nature. They need mm. to spend time grounding themselves. Mm. Yes. And they would probably see a massive change in their attention span. That laser focus, like just watching you on Zoom, just your energy and your body when you like did this like she brought her hands together into like this pinpoint focus it's so interesting because yes we laser focus on the danger and I mean everyone in the pandemic laser focused into COVID and dying of COVID it wasn't just getting sick it was dying or killing your mom or your family members or your kids right we laser focused and then somehow found ourselves in this echo chamber continuously giving ourselves, feeding ourselves this little bit of danger every single day. And and then the idea of not focusing on that seemed scary because this was the reality we've now created. And to let go of that is a risk also because now we don't belong. Now our safety is like questioned and it's and it's literally we've we've attached meaning to something, whether it's true or not, yep. in a way that is such a distraction from living our lives. I've seen so many women too in my experience working just as a life coach and about the I don't know, I I'm stuck on the word brain hijack. Because we get hijacked by these fear-based narratives. And then the idea of of it not being a threat or the idea of the risk, like rational versus irrational fear, the, the idea of just coming into our bodies and just observing the safety around us and the love and the responsibility we have to keep ourselves healthy is like so hard to acknowledge because we're literally hyper-focused. Well, I think to me, it goes back to this concept that we're living in your head. What lives in your head is your ego. Mm -hmm. And your ego is there to keep you safe and to ideally keep you the same. Your (laughs) ego is going to do everything to help you fit in, to not make you stand out, to not be rejected or shamed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, COVID created this like group think where if you wanted to fit in, you had to do and follow and agree with all of these things, whether or not you actually believe them. Right. But it didn't matter because you weren't listening to what you believed. You were just absorbing. Right. So, again, I think one of the most radically powerful things that anyone but women in particular can do is to practice dropping out of your head 
dropping back into your body, that is where the truth lives. Mm-hmm. That is where your intuition is. Your intuition is not that part of your brain telling you not to do things. Mm-hmm. Your intuition is always trying to guide you towards something. Your ego is the one saying, don't do it. <laughs> That's a bad idea, right? Like, yes, don't quit your job. Don't leave your partner. Don't. That's your ego. That is not your intuition. Your intuition speaks to you nicely. Yes. And it's usually trying to move you towards something. Your ego is trying to protect you and keep away from anything new or dangerous or scary. <clears throat> so when we operate from a place of ego, we don't make good decisions, whether it's for our physical health, our mental, because we are operating from a place of fear. And distraction. Yes. So I like to ask people, I like to ask people like to close their eyes and just like ask themselves, am I living from the neck up or am I living from the neck down? And most of the time they start thinking and the thinking is an immediate indication that they're thinking from that they're living from the neck up. It's really interesting how many years I freaking did that was so in my head all the time and convincing myself that that is the way (laughs) that that I am. Yeah. I just want to like give women like, this is not our fault, right? So (laughs) I don't, I want to make it clear. We're not blaming you. If you were, we're all, it's a product of the environment we grew up in. Think about the messages. Most of us received as little kids. Yes. Don't be too loud. Why are you crying? Mm-hmm. Why are you this? You know, be nice, be helpful, be quiet. Da, 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 da. You're fine. That didn't You're hurt. Fine. Stop crying. Yeah. Right? What yeah. happens when you are a kid who is really upset and someone tells you you're fine? Yeah. You internalize that what you are feeling is not accurate and certainly not worthy of being expressed. So what most of us do is we shut all those emotions down. We cut off the body because apparently it's not reliable and no one wants to hear about it. Mm -hmm. And we go into our head and we figure out how do I fit in? How do I say the right thing? How do I do the right thing? How do I pick the right job and the right partner so that everyone approves of me? Mm -hmm. And then you hit 30 or 40 or 50 and you look at your life and you're like, what the hell did I create? Because if you created it from ego and expectation, it often is completely misaligned with what you actually wanted. And I believe that the the words, the emotions, the things that we do not express show up physically in the body. Well, what you just said there, that even that question, what did I create? That is, I think most people are not even at that place because that is a, that is a statement that is taking responsibility for your life. And there's so many of us that are dismissing that or distracting ourselves from even asking that question. Like that is a very, very powerful and meaningful question. What did I create? And now what am I going to do about it? I love the, that you included in your list of, of, going from super hyper-focused on fear to things like better sleep and getting outside and connecting with nature. 
And I mean, of course, I just connected with nature in the most profound way in the fucking, like never in my life have I had a connection to nature like I did this past weekend. I was just like, woo. Anyhow, I am still processing, like I said. But okay, (laughs) when we're in that hyper-focused fear thing and we're having all these hormones and we're feeling like shit and we're tired and we're trying to control everything because except for our like we're trying to make it about everything else except for our own behaviors in what ways is our body working against us like um maybe that's i would say our body is never working against okay i guess what i'm sorry i guess what i'm trying to say is like is it possible that there are other things happening in our body that we need to address that's not drink more water, get more sleep, get get into nature? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are a lot of undiagnosed conditions that I find in my office all the time. Mm-hmm. The number one underdiagnosed thing that I see among women is iron deficiency. Yes. That, I wanted to talk to you about that specifically. I, I remember now you talk about it so often and I'm just like, I think that's me. Okay, continue. Yes. <laughs> if you have a period, I would assume you're iron deficient until proven otherwise. And okay. that's based on 12 years of, of seeing women's iron results. So- the problem is you go to your family doctor, you get an iron test, yeah. you come back, you are told you're normal. Yeah. The problem with that is that the normal reference range for iron, so what is considered to be normal, starts at a level that is so low that it will cause extreme fatigue, hair loss, depression, anxiety, feeling cold all the time. Mm-hmm. So you could be technically normal, which for iron basically means that you're not dying. Like it's such a low number to be considered normal. Whereas in order to have good health, to feel good, to be preventative, you need to be much higher than that. But why is it so, so low? Why is it low? I don't know. It infuriates me that it's okay. like that. And they changed it. It wasn't like that before. And within the last five years or so, they changed the reference range. And a ton of women are suffering because of that stupid reference range. So would um, men be considered high because they don't have their period? Like, are men typically n- normal? Yeah. So to give you like perspective, mm-hmm. most of the women that I test, they're your ferritin. Ferritin is your like your iron stores, your reserve. That's the most kind of typical test we look at. Okay. Most of the women that I test are probably in the like 10 to 30 range. Okay. The minimum that you want to feel like a normal human being would be 50. Oh. And ideally 70. And again, most women are hanging out in like the 10, 20s, and 30s. The average man, their ferritin's gonna be 200, maybe what? 300. Yes. What? Yes. Oh my God. It's like, it's a completely different number. And again, when you look at postmenopausal women who don't have a period anymore, their ferritin is almost about always above 100. So is there in the medical community, is there different ranges for men and women then to be considered yes. normal? There is. Yes. Why? We're like human beings. Like what's the why? Great question. Great question. So you don't have the answer. 
Or you don't know the answer. What well, the f- it was probably reference ranges are made by looking at a big chunk of the population. Right. I can't but believe it's, that. It's in, it's infuriating, right? It's infuriating. Like, most women are iron deficient. So when you make the normal, of course, it's going to include low iron because most women are low in iron versus it's very rare for a man to be low in iron unless he's got like a celiac or something like that. So yeah, that's just one so that is often happening in the background, underdiagnosed, mm-hmm. and then women are doing all these things, trying to get themselves to feel better. Like women work really hard at their health in general, right? We're like trying to eat better and do all yep. the things. And meanwhile, you've got this thing that could very easily be fixed, mm-hmm. but no one told you you have it. Right. Or when you think you have it, they tell you you don't have it. You don't. <laughs> and then you're like, what the Even fuck? Worse. Yeah, even yeah, worse. Then, oh, I made it up. Yeah. So how so does... that's number one. Okay. And the number two would be thyroid conditions. Okay. I was just going to say, what about the thyroid? Got it. Yeah. Okay. So it's estimated that 50% of all thyroid problems are not yet diagnosed. Okay. So what is... Which, what is the thyroid? What is the thyroid? The thyroid's a little gland, sits in the bottom of your neck, mm-hmm. and basically regulates all things energy and metabolism in your body. Okay. So if your thyroid is not working, every single part of your body is affected. Your energy, your digestion, your metabolism, your fertility, your hair, all of it. Okay. Super common to be undiagnosed. Um, So that's a huge part of the work I do is looking, doing, I do a very thorough thyroid panel and I can share with your listeners. I have a great seven essential lab tests that every woman needs. Okay. Uh, So I can, I can share that with your listeners and it gives all of these numbers. So I I can just like, is it like a link? Is it like a link? Okay, cool. I'll add that to the show notes. Perfect. Um, So that's very, very common. And then the third thing, which is very common that we don't look at in the conventional system is something called insulin resistance. Mm. Insulin resistance is a blood sugar problem Mm -hmm. that happens long before you would ever get told you were pre-diabetic or diabetic. Got it. So again, going to how we started the conversation, the medical system is going to just check to make sure you don't have a disease. So if you're not pre-diabetic or diabetic, you're told your blood sugar is fine. What I do is I look at blood sugar and I also look at insulin because I can tell you right away if you are on the path to prediabetes. Right. It's very easy to tell. And this is something that, again, is extremely common. We don't check for in the conventional system, but could be one of these underlying things that's happening that's making you feel worse than you need to. And again, I'm not going to say it's like easy to fix insulin resistance, but through good diet, movement, sleep you can significantly improve your blood sugar and insulin. What is insulin resistance? Insulin resistance is basically a precursor to diabetes where your blood sugar is still normal, but the way that your body is keeping your blood sugar normal is by making a huge amount of insulin. So insulin is basically taking the sugar out of your bloodstream and bringing it to other body parts, which is you need that, you want that. Yep. But when you've got way too much, that causes um, a lot of like weight gain, especially in the midsection. It causes like highs and lows in your blood sugar, which could feel like feeling hungry every couple hours or craving sugar. 
It can cause sleep disturbances. It can mm-hmm. cause fatigue. Insulin is a very inflammatory hormone, so it can cause inflammation. Um, so it's actually like it's really sadly it's really common. And again, I think that goes back to like how we started the conversation that a lot of women are not well and there are things going on that we don't necessarily know about. And insulin resistance is a really big one. Now, is the cause of insulin resistance mainly diet? No. And that's a good question. So Going back to this psychosocial, biopsychosocial, the food is important. And I'm not Mm going to say it's not. It's actually a huge, it's a big part of it. What I see, and I loved your conversation with Stephanie Kay, is that when people hear blood sugar, their response is, I can never eat bread or pasta or like, (laughs) I must cut out all the carbs forever indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is absolutely unnecessary. And I actually advise against doing that. So diet is part of it, but the other part is the movement piece. Mm. Most of us spend 8, 10, 12 hours sitting on our butts all day long, which means our body's not using up sugar because we're not moving and doing anything. So simply increasing your step count and doing any type of exercise is going to have a huge uh, impact on your blood sugar. And then the third category is the stress. One of the things that your stress hormones do is they raise your blood sugar. Why? Because when your body okay. when your body is stressed out, it wants you to be able to fight or run away. Got and it. if you need to fight or run away, your muscles need energy. Got it. And your brain needs energy to make the right decision. So when you're under stress, your blood sugar levels go up because your body is gearing for a fight. Except we don't fight. We just sit at our desk and we type emails. And then we watch so the news and get scared and want to fight and again. And then we watch the news and get scared. <laughs> so we're literally doing all these things that like flood our system with sugar. Mm-hmm. And then we sit on our butts rolling Instagram and like we don't move. So mm-hmm. it's again about looking at the big picture and looking at all the different pieces of the puzzle and how these are impacting your health. It's not just like I need to go keto. Um, that's not the answer in this. Isn't it weird how like these these things are not just commonly spoken about isn't it weird how we don't talk about this it is and it isn't i mean okay. it goes back to the idea that we have a disease management system so unless your right. condition has a name and you meet the cutoff criteria for that disease right you're going to be told that you're fine and isn't it weird how um we look when we Okay, the way that my mind used to work, I don't know, a decade ago, before I really started to tune into the conditioning of my mind and how I'm programmed to think, is I wanted the diagnosis. I wanted someone to tell me what is wrong with me so that I can either victim signal and say, oh, well, I have ADHD, so that's why I'm like this. (laughs) And or this medicine is going to fix me. I am depressed and therefore it's okay for me to take this medicine instead of the 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 reasons that led me into that. Like I I, I, what I like about your message is like you talk about the reasons or the the precursors to all of this, like the what what's the word I'm looking for? I don't what's the word I'm looking for? Like. (laughs) Like the prevention, yeah, like the prevention 
to it. Yeah. Instead, we put ourselves in these positions unknowingly or unconsciously. And we do these things that we think is right because society tells us that this is okay to do this. And we agree with that. And and now we want a diagnosis. And then we make that the reason we are how we are instead of looking at what we have done for the previous 30 years of our lives or 20 years or 10 years or whatever. Well, because it's so much easier to take a pill than it is to dig up all your old shit and do a mindset work (laughs) and like look at your trauma and all of these things. But is it easier? Is it easier to take a pill? It's true. It's it's not right. And I I talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. I always talk about discomfort. You have, you're going to experience discomfort in life either way. You can experience the discomfort of staying in the status quo and feeling like crap and continuing to search outside of yourself for answers. And that's not to say, obviously, I encourage people to like seek out medical advice. I'm not saying don't do that. Yeah, right. That cannot be the sole piece of thing that you use as your kind of information about your health. Your doctor does not live in your body. I don't live in your body. And I tell my patients that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm a really great naturopathic doctor. I have a ton of experience, but I don't live in your body. So I need you to help me understand what is going on. I always ask my patients, what do you think is going on? Mm. And it's fascinating to hear what they say because they usually know the answer. Interesting. So, Yes, and no, most people don't ask people that. So that's a really important question. What yeah, do you really think? Is. Like, what do you think is causing your issues? Discomfort of staying in the status quo, taking your pill, blaming your illness. Or you can have the discomfort of saying, what are some of the habits, thoughts, behaviors I engage in that may be contributing to or worsening this issue? It's not about blaming yourself. I don't think that brings any positive change. Agreed. But like you said, it's about bringing back some agency into your life and asking how am I contributing to this problem and what are some of the habits or things that I might change? Maybe it's calling and booking appointment with a psychologist. Maybe it's going for a walk every day, right? But how can you become an active participant in your healthcare experience? Because there's no one out there, no matter how amazing they are, who can heal you besides yourself. You have to be part of that experience. Now, how is the world set up in our current climate, in our current society? In what ways is the world set up to keep us healthy? Oh, it's not at all. (laughs) Okay. It's not. Mm -hmm. Are there, I just listened to a fascinating podcast with um, Gabor Mate, who's a Mm -hmm. medical doctor who is incredible, but he was talking about how, like, look at the environment, like even just like the actual like climate crisis we're in. Mm -hmm. If our planet is struggling, how are all the beings who live on the planet doing? We're not exempt from that. And I think, again, going back to this like biopsychosocial, the social environment in which you live has a massive impact on your well-being. And again, we don't uh, focus on prevention. We do a terrible job of looking at mental health for the most part and and looking at all the pieces that impact our mental health. Mm -hmm. And then we've convinced ourselves that productivity is so important 
that spending time with your friends is a luxury and something that you're lucky if you get to do it. Whereas for me, spending good quality time with people in your life where you can show up 100% openly and honestly is one of the most healing and important things you can do. Mm -hmm. Social time should not be this like nice to have. It needs to be a key part of your health strategy. Yes. And if you're if you're one of if you're in that hustle culture mentality and if you're in that production and that I'm not enough and I have to do more and I need more uh, and I need to show off the things and show people I'm living my best life when deep down I'm miserable and tired as fuck and like eating binging and uh, doing all of these things in secret and not expressing myself and totally disconnected living from the neck up (laughs) (laughs) And those things are happening. I think maybe that pause and the reflection on the way you've always done things is probably in order. It's probably a good thing to just evaluate the way that you're doing things because no, it's not wrong. It's the structure. It's the container in which you've learned to do things. And maybe it's time to do things a little bit differently even like the food shit right now and like oh my god don't get me started i know (sighs) it's just for me it is another food and diet is a perfect example of how women do not trust themselves okay because feeding yourself is one of the most fundamental drives we have as human beings we have to eat to survive There would be no human species if humans did not know how to feed themselves. We would not be here anymore. So this idea that someone out there on the internet knows more about how you should feed yourself than you do is insane. Mm -hmm. It's just another way that we outsource our health and we want someone else to tell us what to do. Yes. Because that feels easier. But at the end of the day, it is not aligned because only you can figure out what food feels good for you. No one else can do that for you. And then the and the the things that maybe you used to eat that feel good for you don't anymore, but you keep doing it. And you're like, why isn't this working anymore? And then you're like stuck in the loop of like doing things the way that it used to be and not really evolving with your body and with your hormones and with your you know, free time and your distractions and all the things that you're doing. It's like, well, it used to work and now it's not working. Like people used to do, I've heard so many times people have done diets that worked and you know, they've gained weight and they're trying this diet again and it's not working the way it used to work. And, and, and they're, they're like, what's wrong with me? I am, it's my fault. (laughs) Like, no, it's just just in a different place like you can't go back and I hear this all the time too of women like well I want to go back to this weight or that and I'm like that that's not a thing (laughs) thing. can't go back your body is not the same as it was at at that time you are not the same there's so many things that are are probably different in your life Mm, okay oh girl we need to talk 72,000 times more (laughs) Okay, um, 
Maybe just quickly before we go, because one of the things that you talk about a lot is like effortless energy and like revitalizing your energy. What are some of like the things that people can leave this show right now and just maybe start to focus on? If we could hyper focus our attention on one thing or two or three, what would it be? So what I would encourage is part of what I said earlier. When you get up in the morning before you make your to do list with 48 things on it. Check in to see how you feel and then ask yourself one question. What is one thing that I can do today to honor how my body feels today? Got it. And what you're doing by just doing one simple thing is you're putting a deposit in the bank of being like, I'm listening to your body and I'm giving you what you need. It doesn't mean that you rearrange your whole day is that you start acknowledging your body and start taking small steps to honor what it needs. Mm. And the reason I like to think about effortless energy is about efforting less. It's about letting go of the crap that we all do that we feel we must do, but we actually don't actually have to do. It's not aligned. So that you have more time and energy and space to do the things that actually matter for you. I love that. And do you work virtually? I do. Okay. Because I think for the listeners that aren't in, are you in Ottawa right now? Do you live in Ottawa? I'm in Ottawa. Yeah, so okay. I can treat anyone who lives in Ontario. I can treat them for like a, if they want to see me one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And then I have some group programs that I'm revamping and those are open to anyone anywhere. All right. I thank you so much for being on the show. I'm going to put all the links to your social media, to your website, to some of these neat giveaways. The seven things. What was it again? The seven? The seven essential tests for for Mm -hmm. tired women who want to know what the heck is going on. So it has all the tests, the normal range, the optimal range, so you know exactly where you fall in that that range. So important to, if you are in that position where you know something is wrong and you're being told that you are normal, to keep digging. (laughs) Trust yourself. Your body doesn't lie. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. If you're looking for more, head over to Elisa Unfiltered Coaching for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.